That's big time. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh, did he belt that one? Intensity is not a perfume. It was a no-doubter. Five, four, three, two, one. We are up in the bird's nest here at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I'm Brendan Mortensen alongside Matt Bonaparte. Matt, this morning we were the epitome of that one tweet that was like guys will literally just hang out and name random NBA role players from 2008. This morning it was father-son duos to play different sports. Mm -hmm. And this morning you were rolling with Barry Larkin and Shane Larkin. Yeah. Which got me curious... There was Jerry Goff and Jared Goff. Uh, you got Michael Thompson and Trace Thompson. Of course, the brother of Clay Thompson. Yeah. A lot of athletes there. Which one, which one is your favorite? Well, now that you bring up the Thompson brothers, I wonder how many siblings played different professional sports at the same time. Well, now you've opened up an entire I've opened up entire a whole new can, of can of worms. But yeah. which one's my favorite? I like the Larkin story there. Yeah. That Shane Larkin was like, yeah, yeah, that's all cool, but I'm going to go do my own thing. That's what they all did. I like that. They said, hey, Dad, cool sport. It's for nerds. Going yeah, well, to play well a different not one. a lot of their dads were Hall of Fame shortstops. That's true. So, yeah, I mean, Jared Goff's dad, Jerry, nothing against Jerry Goff, but he did have a, a negative .8 career That's war. A strong negative .8. According to Baseball Reference, an 81 OPS plus playing for a few different teams in the 90s. So maybe Jared was like, yeah, baseball thing. <laughs> not for me. Yeah. But that was how our morning was spent. We do have... A good bit of Orioles news to get to. First and foremost, got had a couple of guys named to the All-MLB team. Yeah. Adley Rutschman, first-team All-MLB catcher. Felix Bautista, first-team All-MLB as a reliever. Kyle Bradish, second-team All-MLB as a starting pitcher. We know how talented these guys are. Cool to see them get recognized on a national stage. So cool. I yeah. mean, that's, that's fantastic. I don't think a lot of people... Um, knew how good this team was going into this year, and now that Orioles fans get to be like, hey, like our guys are top of the line, uh, and this team is fantastic. So, And I'm really glad to see Bradish get some recognition there as well, uh, even though he's on the second team. That's really cool um, because there's a lot of great starting pitchers in this league, and he's absolutely one of them. But I would just kindly request for Major League Baseball to push up when they do this All-MLB announcement. Because I think it lost a lot of steam by the time we got here. I mean, it's almost Christmas, and we're now just learning about who is on the all-MLB team, which is fine, but it's just, it's a lot of momentum that has now been lost. It's, like, way past when we found out MVPs and Silver Sluggers and Gold Gloves, and weeks later, we're like, oh, yeah, these guys made an all-MLB team, and the general reaction is just kind of like, cool, Okay, I don't really care anymore. I think that happens with a lot of sports awards. Like, the first ones that come out, you're like, all right, here we go. And then it's like, all right, you're giving that guy an award. But I don't know how many other sports awards are this far spaced out. That's also true, yeah. 
This has um, taken way too long to get to the baseball. MLB team. You know, baseball, there's a million different places giving out awards to all these different guys. It's just it it's is, the nature but, of the sport. But what if it wasn't, is what <laughs> I'm saying. What, do you want to do it all on the same day? Everything? Not all on the same day, but maybe within, like, that would be pretty cool. Like, 9 a.m. we're doing span? this, and then by 10 p.m. you're doing a whole other set of awards. I Look, like there's that. a lot of awards, which is cool. I, I'm not mad about the Silver Slugger. I'm not mad about the Gold Glove. I'm not mad about, you know, the MVPs, all those things. Those are all great. Keep them within, like, maybe a week or so time frame. Okay. Announce the all MLB teams. Announce all of those things. Because now we're, I mean, it's almost Christmas. It is almost Christmas. We're, like, in the middle of the offseason. Big free agents have already signed. The guys that have made all MLB teams, I mean, Shohei Otani is an all MLB, you know, DH starting pitcher. And he's not even on the team that he was all MLB for. Move it up. I mean, I don't have the power to do that. And please, you do it specifically. <laughs> I'll make I'm some asking calls. you. I'll make some calls. No All way. right, thank you. Other Orioles news to get to. We did have a trade. The O's acquired Jonathan Heasley from the Kansas City Royals in exchange for Cesar Espinal, who is an 18-year-old pitcher in the Dominican Summer League. Put up some pretty nice numbers as a 17-year-old last year in the DSL at a 3.18 ERA. But let's talk about Jonathan Heasley and what he brings to Baltimore. He was the 10th-ranked prospect in Kansas City's system as recently as 2022. He had an excellent season in 2021 in AA. He had a great ERA at 333, a 28% strikeout rate, just an 8% walk rate. Went into 2022 with a lot of helium. He made the jump from AA to the majors. And that 2022 season was not very good for Heasley. He had just a 528 ERA, so lost some of the helium that he had going into that season. Yeah. Um, when guys make a jump like that from double A to the majors, I feel like there's always uh, a bit of possibility that something like that's going to happen where um, they're not nearly as effective as they were at double A just because the, the change in level is huge. It is. Right. Um, so, you know, last couple of years were not fantastic for Heasley, but he has interesting pitches, mid-90s fastball that can get a little bit higher, a solid curveball, throws a sweeper and a changeup. Uh, and the walk rate last year, even though he didn't throw so many innings this past season, was pretty down. So I think that's something that the Orioles probably liked. Uh, but, you know, something to keep in mind is that this guy did have a lot of success in the minors. And his scouting report as that 10th-ranked prospect in 2022 read that his velocity continuously ticked up yeah. Since he was drafted, the fastball can now get up to 97 to 99. Yes. The fastball from 2022 to 2023, on average, went up a mile per hour and a half. Fantastic. That's good. Yeah. So the fastball now consistently sits at 95. He can get it up to 97 to 99. His best secondary pitch is the 12-6 curveball. On the fastball and the 12-6 curveball, he has a lot of vertical movement as we are trying to find things that the Orioles are probably looking at here. You mentioned the slider as a potentially solid pitch and an effective changeup as well. The scouting report also noted that he had a really, really good pickoff move. He's very good at fielding his position, very good at holding runners on base, which is I thought was kind of noteworthy because very rarely do you see that as a note in a prospect report. So he's got to be really, really good at it for that to be pointed out. But if you're looking for things, again, that Baltimore could be looking at when you were acquiring somebody like Easley, 
I think it's the fastball velocity is, is the biggest thing for me. Again, increasing that a mile an hour from 2022 is huge. And I'm sure the Orioles are looking at that pitch and thinking that they can, you know, maybe get it consistently to 97 to 99 rather than just being able to touch there occasionally. And the 12-6 curveball is really good. And if you are a solid two-pitch reliever, Heasley came into the 2022 season as a starter. He made over 20 starts in that season. I can't imagine that he is going to be a starter in the Orioles' plans. I I would imagine this is somebody who is going to be fighting for a reliever role coming into spring training. But if he has two solid pitches that have a lot of vertical movement and the fastball velocity might be a little bit untapped, I think that kind of paints the picture of a potentially solid bullpen arm. Yeah, I mean, he'll certainly battle for a bullpen spot. He does have one option left on his contract. Yeah, that's big. um, There's a chance that they just throw him down in the minors, see what he can do down there, and try to develop him a little bit. Uh, But, you know, with what the Orioles did last year with guys like Cano and Coulomb, you start to look at moves like these and say, okay, they've definitely got a plan in place. Uh, picking up a guy like this. There's something that they've seen that maybe other teams have not, uh, and they'll try to make him into something uh, that he currently isn't probably. So I'm excited to see what happens to Jonathan Heasley. Yeah, and that's honestly the biggest reason that I wanted to make sure we talked about Heasley at the top of this show because we have kind of learned our lesson over the last couple of years that when the Orioles make what is seemingly a small move to acquire a pitcher or even just a player in general, it's usually not that small of a move. Yeah. And we learned it last year. You mentioned Danny Coulomb. Yenier Cano, again, was kind of a toss-in in that Jorge Lopez trade. We have talked about that a bunch. Ryan O'Hearn was a very similar trade with the Kansas City Royals. You got O'Hearn for cash considerations, and then he gives you an OPS over 800 last year. So... While this may not be a move that impacts the Orioles in a big way in 2024, this could kind of fall under the category of maybe a Franchi Cordero or a Lewin Diaz, where, you know, Cordero wasn't in the organization past spring training. Lewin Diaz remained in the organization, but he just stayed in AAA as kind of an insurance option. Jonathan Heasley could turn into that. Maybe you start him at AAA to begin the season. You just try to develop him there and you don't see him in the big leagues in 2024. But there's also a possibility that this just turns into a solid reliever at the big league level because that's what the Orioles do. Yeah. Uh, so you have to talk about it. Absolutely. And and the ability to turn guys like Jonathan Heasley into um, a big league reliever that can be relied on is an invaluable thing as a franchise. Yeah. Uh, so if the Orioles are able to do that, obviously it is fantastic. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to see what happens. Yeah, so we will see what the Orioles end up doing with Jonathan Heasley, how he factors into their plans. As you mentioned, probably going to be fighting for a bullpen spot in spring training. Could be in competition with guys like Cole Irvin, Brian Baker, Mike Bauman, who could be filling a similar type of role. Would have to imagine that Heasley could give you a fair amount of innings out of the bullpen. Could be a long relief type. Keegan Aiken probably in that discussion as well. So, Heasley with that minor league option, it's possible that we just see him in the minor leagues exclusively in 2024, but also possible that he gets some run and just turns into a solid bullpen arm because Michael Elias just just does that, just finds guys, 
makes them good bullpen arms, and, and here we are. Speaking of camp battles, the Orioles have a heck of a lot of good prospects that are very close to either making the big leagues or have already made their big league debut and are very close to locking down a roster spot. So that's what we are going to talk about today, the guys that are on the precipice yes. of claiming a big league role. And we're going to break down who we think has a good shot at either making the opening day roster or we will give our prediction for when we will see them at the big league level. Let's, let's start in the outfield okay. with a couple of guys that we saw at the big league level last year, starting with Heston Kerstad. 13 games with the Orioles in the regular season last year, got 33 at-bats, and he was really impressive. Seven hits, a double, two home runs, did hit just 233 with a 281 on base percentage, but had an OPS close to 750 and an OPS plus of 106. Kerstad, left-handed power hitter, we know how that plays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, which is very well. The bat has gotten a ton of praise. This is somebody who has the upside of being a 30-plus home run guy. So Heston Kerstad, we have seen what he can do, and the upside and the ceiling is really, really high. In terms of where he fits in 2024, the Orioles are going to hold 13 position players on a 26-man roster. So I'm just going to run through these guys real quick that we have so that we can go over the competition. Adley Rutschman, James McCann makes two. Gunner, Mounty, O'Hearn, Westberg, that makes six. Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander makes nine of those 13 position players. Let's say, for the sake of argument right now, that Ramona Rios and Jorge Mateo make 11. So you are looking at two position player spots there. Heston Kerstad is going to be competing with... Other 40-man roster outfielders right now. Other guys on the 40-man roster, you have Ryan McKenna, Colton Kowser, Kyle Stowers, and Sam Hilliard in the outfield. People forget about Sam Hilliard. People forget. Where do you think Heston Kerstad falls in that outfield competition? I mean, Kerstad, like you mentioned, his bat is unreal, right? I mean, this guy has the uh, potential to turn into one of those guys in the majors who is just a pro hitter, goes out there. You know he's going to get his hits every single time. Rarely in the minors did he ever have a situation where his OPS was below 800. I believe Aberdeen a couple years ago was the only Yeah, time. when he first got back into yes, professional baseball exactly. and, and was ramping um, up a little bit, yeah. The position that he would probably fill on the roster is one similar to Ryan O'Hearn. Corner outfielder slash first base, uh, lefty bat, big power bat. So... That's something that probably works against him in this situation because yeah. he's trying to fill a role that is already filled on the team. Uh, and like you mentioned, he is battling against other guys who are incredibly talented. Um, he's going to have to have an immense spring if he wants to make the club. Uh, obviously, he was there in the playoffs last year, which is something that I don't think many people would have guessed by opening day 2023 was that if the Orioles made the playoffs, he'd be on the roster. Uh, but he was. He didn't see any time in the playoffs. But um, he's a guy that you could see on the opening day roster, though I don't think he will. If I make a prediction here, I'd say he won't make the MLB roster, but we will see him this year. I'll give it, just to give it a specific date, I'll do mid-May, like May 13th, we see Heston Kerstad. Okay. I'm on a similar wavelength to you with, with Heston Kerstad here. 
So the roster prediction that I had put the Orioles at 11. For the sake of argument, I'm going to say that one of Ryan McKenna, Joey Ortiz, Jackson Holiday makes the opening day roster to make that 12. Heston Kerstad is not really competing against Ryan McKenna for a roster spot. As you mentioned, I think he is pretty much competing against Ryan O'Hearn right now because he fills a very similar role, like you said. Michael Elias has mentioned that Heston Kerstad was getting a lot of reps at first base this offseason. It seems like the plan for Kerstad is to make him a very similar role that Ryan O'Hearn has right now. It is a backup first baseman, a left-handed kind of platoon bat to Ryan Mountcastle who can play some right field. You're not going to see Heston Kerstad much in left field at Oriole Park at Camden Yards just because of the dimensions here. Can play left field probably at some other ballparks around baseball, but Heston Kerstad doesn't have the defensive upside in the outfield to make him a consistent left fielder here. So it's really a first base right field kind of hybrid role for Heston Kerstad. I think he has more power upside than Ryan O'Hearn. O'Hearn hit 14 home runs in 112 games last year. I think if you give Heston Kerstad 112 games, maybe he hits 20 home runs. But as of right now, until O'Hearn proves otherwise, he is the guy that is going to fill that left-handed hitting backup first base occasional corner right fielder role. Because <laughs> that's he a mouthful. Hit, that's what the role is. It's very specific. But like he hit 290 with an OPS over 800. So until Ryan O'Hearn proves otherwise, he's got that spot locked down, which is why I don't foresee Heston Kerstad making the opening day roster unless he is able to jump somebody like Ryan McKenna, but he gives you a very different thing. It's a different thing. Than Ryan McKenna. McKenna's going there glove first. He's a defensive replacement, you know, could be a pinch runner here or there. I think there's also a possibility that Kerstad gets a spot over somebody like Arias or Mateo if... Jackson Holiday maybe beats Arias or Mateo for one of those roles. I, there's a lot of calculus that can go into it, but my prediction for Heston Kerstad on the Major League roster is May 27th. So oh, it was so right around close. you with mid-May. I don't think he's on the opening day roster, but I think we see him pretty much right away. If there's an injury, if somebody is struggling a little bit, I yeah, think Heston Kerstad gets guys. the first call. He's one of the first guys off the off the lines. Yeah. Um, for an injury or some kind of guy was struggling, whatever. Yeah. Let's move on to the other outfielder that we saw in the big big leagues last year, and that is Colton Kowser. A little bit of a different story than Heston Kerstad. Saw Kowser for 26 games with the Orioles last season, and he struggled. He came up in some big moments, had that clutch double, but hit just 115 with seven hits in his 26 games and a 433 OPS. He is competing, again, with those same 40-man roster outfielders, but he is competing, I think, in a different role than Heston Kerstad is. Kerstad, you would be looking at as that power-hitting backup first base option. I think Colton Kowser is competing against somebody like Ryan McKenna, somebody who could be a defensive replacement at any position in the outfield. He could play center field if Cedric Mullins needed a day off. He could play left field for Austin Hayes, even here at Camden Yards. Colton Kowser, a solid defensive outfielder at all three spots. So he's different in that regard than Heston Kerstad. And I think he is competing against different guys in spring training. First of all, I think it's very hard to quantify any of these guys 
by their stats that they put up in short stints last year, whether that's Kerstad, Kowser, Ortiz, anybody that we're going to talk about. It's very difficult for any of them to come up and immediately make a difference, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, he struggled when he came up last year, but he didn't get a second chance uh, to show what he had in the majors. So I don't really think that you can go so much off of that 115 batting average that we saw. No, and Kowser has struggled a little bit when he has gone up to different levels. Understandably so. Yeah. He came up to the big leagues and struggled a little bit. You would expect that. Exactly. So I I'm not going to read that much into it. What I am going to read into is that Kowser is still a top 2025 prospect in baseball. Yeah, He's sure. a former number five overall pick. I know he kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, maybe because his numbers aren't quite as eye-popping as, say, Jackson Holiday or Samuel Basayo or Kobe Mayo, but Colton Kowser was still really, really good at Fantastic. AAA Norfolk last year. He was one of the first members of his draft class to get up to that level, one of the first guys to get promoted to the big leagues. So Colton Kowser, again, if he doesn't make the opening day roster, I think we see him very soon. This is the time for him. And my prediction for Colton Kowser is that he is on the opening day roster because I think he is, again, like I said, competing against somebody like Ryan McKenna, who is a speed threat, can play any defensive position in the outfield. And I think Kowser has higher, higher upside with the bat. It's possible that we see Kowser and McKenna on the roster, just like it's possible that we see McKenna and Kerstad on the roster. But Colton Kowser, look, I, I think he is going to ball out in spring training. He has that kind of upside. He has that kind of ceiling. I think this is the time that he solidifies himself as the fourth outfielder and gets a lot of run in this Orioles outfield. I think he makes the opening day roster. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I also think we'll see him on the opening day roster because it's – kind of inherently easier for him uh, to make the roster than the other fringe guys, partly because he has that hype that we were talking about, that we know that the talent is there. We're just waiting to see him unleash it. Uh, he plays all the outfield positions, and if he gets the bat going in spring training, it's going to be hard not to give him the nod. Uh, so I think if he, he his bat is there, he doesn't necessarily have to rake, in my opinion. I think he has to hit pretty solidly in spring, I think yeah. he gets the nut. I think he needs to play very well in spring sure. training. I think he needs to outplay some guys because yeah. right now Heston Kerstad outplayed him at the big league level. Ryan McKenna, we know that Brandon Hyde really, really likes the value that he brings to the big league roster. Also a great clubhouse guy. Great clubhouse guy, as is Colton Kowser, as is Heston Kerstad. But I think Kowser will need to outplay them, and, I, and I'm confident that he can yes. in spring training because he has that kind of ceiling. Let's move on to the pitchers. Okay. It's it's the three that we have talked about for a while. It's Chase McDermott, Cade Povich, Seth Johnson. We'll start with Chase McDermott. Ten games in AAA Norfolk last year with a 2.49 ERA. He won the Orioles Minor League Pitcher of the Year Award. He is not yet on the 40-man roster, which does not help his case. He is entering his age 25 season, which does help his case a little bit. He's a little bit older. Want to see what he has. McDermott, I think, profiles as a starter at the big league level. Don't know if it's a number one, number two starter, but maybe a number four starter at the big league level. The Orioles have a lot of starting pitching depth. Outside of the four that are locked in, in Bradish, Rodriguez, Means, and Kramer, you have Tyler Wells, D.L. Hall, Cole Irvin. We have seen make spot starts. Jonathan Heasley, we have seen 
as a starter in 2022 as well, new to the roster there. So McDermott is going to have to leapfrog a lot of guys if yeah. he wants to make the opening day roster. I don't see that happening. I think it's probably a late season debut. Yeah, um, if he does make one. Yeah. He had a fantastic year, like you said. Always minor league pitcher of the year. Was very, very good at double-A, mid-threes ERA. Gets pulled up to triple-A and was even better. Improved his ERA by over a point down to a 2-4-9. Uh, so this guy is has a lot of talent. He's a fantastic pitcher, uh, and he's got it. And I think we will see him in the majors at some point. Whether or not uh, is this year, we'll find out. Um, to give a real prediction on it, I mean, it's a situation in which... Like you said, there are so many guys in that bullpen who would be filling a similar role, whether it's yeah. Tyler Wells, D.L. Hall, Cole Irvin, whoever. Um, so it'll be tough for him to break through. I mean, if an injury or somebody struggles, something comes up like that, I think he'll be one of the first guys they call upon. Um, but I don't really see him making it naturally unless he ball. If he, if he goes out there and he is undeniable, then, you know, maybe a July-August call-up we could see. But sure. if he does get called up, I'd see a late season. Yeah, my prediction was September 2nd for Chase so McDermott. Like September call-up? September call-up. Look, he strikes out a lot of guys. 11.5 strikeouts per nine at Norfolk last year. He needs to cut down on the walks a little bit. Don't walked, we all? Walked almost... <laughs> I, I, I would say I'm trying to increase my walks. Go for some <laughs> more morning walks. Chase McDermott walked six batters per nine innings in double-A buoy. Walked over four batters per nine innings in AAA Norfolk. He's got to clean that up a little bit. The reason I say September is just because teams always need spot starts. You always need guys to just eat innings a little bit. We saw it with the Orioles down the stretch last year where, you know, Cole Irvin was making some starts. You had guys reaching their career highs in innings, and the Orioles just kind of needed arms. So that's what I'm kind of anticipating for Chase McDermott. I could also see him coming out of the bullpen if the Orioles just need more innings. Sure. He didn't make, you know, every start in his appearances this year. He made two relief appearances in Bowie, two relief appearances for Norfolk, so I could see him coming out of the bullpen in a pinch if the Orioles need him. If Baltimore needs innings, I think Chase McDermott is probably the guy by the end of the year that we see. Cade Povich, very similar boat to Chase McDermott. These guys were traded to Baltimore at the same time. They have gone up from, you know, Bowie to Norfolk at, at very similar times. Cade Povich, just the stats are a little bit worse. 10 starts with Norfolk last year with a 536 ERA. Again, kind of a similar story. He struck out 10.5 batters per nine innings, walked close to six guys per nine innings. I still believe that he has maybe the highest upside, him and Seth Johnson, of any Orioles pitching prospect because the stuff is nasty coming from the left side. He is entering his age 24 season, so you don't really need to rush him. Do you think Cade Povich makes his debut this year? The numbers on Cade Povich are interesting because, like you said, the ERA is high, but the strikeout numbers are incredibly high as well. Uh, I mean... A 12.2 strikeout per nine last year over two levels. The guy can strike people out. Um, and what you think about immediately, or at least what I do, is what would he look like in a similar role to one that D.L. Hall took last year in the bullpen? Yeah. Something closer to maybe not the late, late game, but something closer to it. 
in a situation in which you can really uh, optimize what he's doing in terms of his strikeout numbers. That's something that really piques my interest with a guy like him. Um, otherwise, I think you need to continue to develop him if you see him solely as a starter because those ERA numbers are not going to play in the majors. No. Um, so if, if he's primarily and only going to be a starter, I think we're not going to see him this year. But if Michael Elias and Brandon Hyde are talking about, hey, what if we throw this guy who has been phenomenal in terms of his strikeout numbers towards the back end of a game and see what he can do, then potentially we could see him in the bullpen this year. Yeah, Noah on YouTube asking if any of these pitching prospects are comparable to pitchers on the current roster. I think the DL Hall comparison is a good one. I don't think he has quite the upside of DL Hall because where you might see Cade Povich strike out like 12 guys per nine innings, DL Hall was striking out like 14. Yeah. So he doesn't have quite That's the stuff true. of DL Hall, doesn't have, you know, the overwhelming fastball or quite the same slider that Hall had, but it's a similar case where you look at Povich, you see the stuff, and you go, okay, just show me the numbers a little bit more. Yeah. Because with DL Hall, it was always the stuff is there, just get the ERA down, get the walks down a little bit, which DL Hall has done, and I think Povich can be on a similar trajectory. The pitching prospect that is an absolute wild card is Seth Johnson. Yeah. Just one start in double-A last year in his age 24 season. He missed the entirety of the 2022 minor league season after getting Tommy John surgery. Came over at the same deadline as Povich and McDermott and was a very highly touted pitching prospect in the Tampa Bay Rays system, which is a very, very good system. Those guys know how to develop pitching. Seth Johnson is on the 40-man roster. McDermott and Povich are not. So in terms of seeing Johnson at the big league level this year, being on the 40-man roster would help the case to elevate him a little bit quicker. This is going to be his age 25 season as well, so he is a little bit older. I assume he will start in AA because he has only gotten one start in AA in his minor league career because he got Tommy John surgery pretty young. But I think he has the potential to be a very fast riser, both because he is older and on the 40-man roster and because he's just he was a really good pitching prospect before getting hurt. The 40-man roster thing definitely does help him. Uh, I think, you know, just from a standpoint of being in the front office, you want to elevate guys who you already have on there, obviously. Yeah. Um, but like you said wild card of all wild cards because yep. coming off the Tommy John we saw him for 10 and a third last year I just it, it we're gonna have to wait and see with a guy like him I can't confidently tell you yeah Seth Johnson's gonna go out there have it once again and just be dominant and be ready to call it up we have no idea what he's gonna look like right. if he comes back in spring training and he looks fantastic then obviously everyone's gonna feel a lot more confident about him but more realistically, with a guy like this who probably hasn't fully developed yet, I think he's going to have to find his way a little bit more after an injury like that that took him out for so much time. Uh, so prediction for me on Johnson is maybe they try and accelerate things because he's on the 40-man and they're going to want to push him a little bit, but I cannot fully commit to saying that he's going to be there. Yeah, I mean, going into... That 2022 season, in his final 11 starts for single-A Charleston, Johnson had a 163 ERA and held opponents to a 603 OPS while striking out 66 batters in only 49 and two-thirds innings. That's fantastic. He has a fastball that tops out at 98. It was graded as a 60 
when he was the eighth-ranked prospect in the race system in 2022. He has a slider that was graded a 55, which is a plus pitch. I think Johnson debuts this year. I think the Orioles push him because he is 25. He is on the 40-man roster. I, I don't think they push him too far. I think we see Johnson in late August. My prediction was August 24th. You're always going to need starting pitching depth. And I think out of the group of three, if you are going to promote one of McDermott, Povich, or Johnson, you're going to promote the guy that is already on the 40-man roster. And so I think Johnson has a leg up there. I think if the fastball is back to 98, that's going to play. Let's move on to our final category here, which is infielders. Kobe Mayo, I'm going to touch on pretty quickly because I I don't think he makes his debut this season, but there's not really a reason that he shouldn't if he keeps playing this well outside of the fact that he is just really, really young. OPS over 962 games in Norfolk in his age 21 season, which is ridiculous. He has already proved himself with the Tides, so it's not a matter of needing to see a lot more from Kobe Mayo. It's more so the fact that he just needs to leapfrog a bunch of guys. He needs to leapfrog Gunnar Henderson, Ramon Arias, Jordan Westberg, potentially Joey Ortiz, who could be a third base option as well. I don't think we see Mayo this year unless he just keeps lighting the world on fire, which is entirely possible. We could see him in August or September, but I think there's just too big of a log jam right now to see Kobe Mayo. Here's my thing with Kobe Mayo. The guy, like you said, fantastic. Nearly in 1,000 OPS last year. He was so freaking good. Um, you're right. There are a lot of guys he's going to have to beat if he wants to be playing third base uh, for the Orioles, one of which is Gunnar Henderson, and I just don't think that's happening. Right. Um, but Gunnar could be your everyday shortstop. Could be, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I'm going to say here is if you're around the trade deadline and maybe I don't know what the, the season's going to look like, but if you're saying, hey, it would be helpful if we brought in a bat here. If Kobe's raking, I think there's no reason you shouldn't just look down there and be like, why not? Yeah. Give him a shot. It's a weird evaluation because he he shouldn't be here. Yeah. He shouldn't be this good. It is very odd. I don't think he was in the calculus for the 2024 season because it's going to be his age 22 season for a high school draft pick that you thought was going to struggle a little bit Mm -hmm. because he's a power hitter who you didn't think was going to be as good in terms of his plate discipline, in terms of his batting average, his on-base percentage, and then he just is. (laughs) So what do you do? A 410 on-base plus 550 slugging, like he's ridiculous. And there are other guys that we're going to talk about that you haven't seen a lot of at the big league level. You still want to see Joey Ortiz. Jordan Westberg, a lot of scouts have said that he probably profiles defensively better as a third baseman than he does as a second baseman, even though his bat probably profiles as a second baseman more than a third baseman. I think if you need a DH, if you need a third baseman at some point this season, if Ramon Arias struggles, if... Honestly, anybody in your DH spot struggles. And Kobe Mayo keeps hitting the way that he is hitting in AAA Norfolk. You kind of have to call him up. That's what I'm saying. But, like, goodness. It's it's shocking that he's here. I mean, it's crazy. And it's a great problem to have. But by definition, it is a little bit of a problem. So let's move on to one of the guys that I just mentioned in Joey Ortiz. Played 15 games with the Orioles this season. Seven hits with a double and 33 at-bats. 
and then he played 88 games with Norfolk and hit 321 with an 885 OPS. There's nobody talking about prospects like this as sadly as you are right now. <laughs> it's not sad. It's unbelievable. But Joey Ortiz it's like what with AAA Norfolk, he's an incredible defensive shortstop. He hit 321. There's not room for him. Nearly a 900 OPS. He's going to have to compete with the Ramona Rios and Jorge Mateo types that have a very defined role with the Orioles. I mean, Ramona Rios was a gold glover at third base. I think Joey Ortiz has that kind of defensive upside. He does not have the speed of somebody like Jorge Mateo, who still plays an excellent defensive shortstop, even though it was a little bit down from 2022. And he is going to be a base-stealing threat anytime he's there. So Joey Ortiz is going to have to compete with those guys for a spot, but my goodness, he doesn't have to do anything else in Norfolk. Yeah. Nothing he's else. He's proved it. I yeah. mean, like that situation is just tough for him. He's proving it every single day and it's nobody's fault that he's not up. Like he's, there's just not room. There's just a lot of good players. Yeah. There's just a lot of really, really good talent in Baltimore's system. And there's just no room for the guy. And, and you know, he does it on both sides of the ball. Obviously we know all about that. Yeah. Similar glove to Jorge Mateo has a plus 300 average in AAA. He's so good. This, that, and the other thing, but there's just no room for him. Um, last year we saw him, which gives me hope that maybe we'll see him this year, but it's just really tough to do the, uh, the roster math, and get him in there. If there's an injury in the infield, I think Joey Ortiz is your first call. I think my prediction is not that he makes the opening day roster, but that we see him June 11th is the date <laughs> that I picked. I think the second that, you know, Ramona Rias, uh, Ramona Rias and Jorge Mateo are on the hot seat. I, I think that's pretty clear to see. Not really because of how they play, but just because there are elite prospects in the infield behind them. So I think if either of those two guys struggle a little bit, honestly, I think if Jordan Westberg struggles out of the gate more than we are expecting, then Joey Ortiz could be that first call to get them up there. Another guy that we just don't talk about that much, even though he's really good, Connor Norby. 138 games with Norfolk last year in 842 OPS. He hit 290 with yeah. 40 doubles, and we don't talk about him. He is a potential 20-plus home run guy at second base. In any other organization, just every single fan is clamoring yeah. for Connor Norby. <laughs> a former second-round pick hit 40 doubles, 290, 20-plus home run potential at the big league level. And he's proved it in Norfolk. Anywhere else, fans yeah. are freaking out over Connor Norby. Can't wait to bring him up. Can't wait to bring him up. Where is he? Why isn't he starting? And yet Connor Norby is just down the list of guys that you look at as potential starters for the Orioles last year. And my prediction for Connor Norby is that he might not debut. I just can't see it happening. Because he's got a leapfrog. Not only the guys that are at the big league level right now with Ramon Arias, Jorge Mateo, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, but he's also probably got a leapfrog. Jackson Holiday and Joey Ortiz and maybe even Kobe Mayo. I mean, Connor Norby, he can be a second base corner outfield hybrid. I just... I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. He's he's so good. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, a really, really good player that anybody would like to have. Uh, but when you have an infield like this one, it's really difficult to uh, to do anything. Yeah. I don't know. I, I hope we see him at some point. He 
has earned a shot. I think he's going to continue to earn a shot in 2024. But, I mean, there's always trades. There's always injuries. We will see how it plays out. But as we currently stand, the road for Connor Norby to get significant playing time in the big leagues in 2024 is just kind of hard to see. Agreed. Last, but certainly not least, the man you've all been waiting for us <laughs> to talk about. And that's Jackson Holiday. Good player. Good player, some might say. <laughs> Played 18 games with AAA Norfolk last year with an OPS close to 800 and in his age 13 season. Michael Elias and Brandon Hyde have both said that there is a very real possibility that Jackson Holiday cracks the opening day roster. They have both said that they are going to give him every opportunity to compete in spring training. They are not viewing him as a player coming to camp that they are just trying to develop as a prospect. They view him as a player in camp that is competing for an opening day roster spot. Yeah, I mean... Does I, he do it? I think he does. I, I, I mean, one of the most incredible minor league seasons of all time, right? I mean... I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Again, I don't have every minor league season in front of me, but I'd be really how could you really surprised if another player had had a season like his in which he traversed the entire system yeah. and got all the way up to AAA at the end of the year and played well. Um, so I, I just I think he's going to do it in spring training. I have no real reason to believe he won't. Uh, and I think that with what you said and, and Elias and Hyde saying that he's going to get every chance to do so. I think he'll make the opening day roster as a starting shortstop. Man, I really thought I was going to have a little bit of a spicy take with saying that he's making the opening day roster, but I think he does. Yeah. Given what we have heard from Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde, that, look, this could be a case of them just getting us excited about the number one prospect in baseball and saying, yeah, of course he's going to compete for an opening day roster spot without it actually happening. But the Orioles are in a different spot from yeah. where they were when Adley Rutschman got called up and when... Gunnar Henderson got called up. You were giving Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson every rep possible in the minors before it was just overwhelming evidence to say, you know what, you've got it at the big league level because the absolute number one priority was making sure that those guys turned into the superstars that we knew they could be, which we have seen. I mean, Adley Rutschman was first team all MLB catcher. Gunnar Henderson won rookie of the year. Playing with them clearly worked. The development worked. And I'm not going to say that the Orioles are not prioritizing Jackson Holiday's development. Obviously, they are. But they pushed Jackson Holiday last year. He proved that he deserved it and that he was ready for the next challenge at every step. But they really pushed him last year. Yeah. And when Jackson Holiday gets to spring training and Jackson Holiday plays the way that we know he is capable of, I have a hard time believing that the Orioles as a team just won 101 games, is competing in the toughest division in baseball, and wants to win, and wants to win right now, I have a hard time believing that they look at Jackson Holiday and don't believe that he is one of the 13 best position players that they can crack their opening day roster with. So I agree, 100%. And imagine that infield. Adley, Mountcastle, Westberg, Gunner at third, Holiday at short. I yep. mean, that has the potential to be one of, if not the best infield in baseball. And it's certainly the most fun. Yeah, I yeah, think. I think so. I, I would argue that that is Absolutely. one of the most fun infields in baseball with two former number one overall prospects. 
like, we know what Jackson Holiday is capable of. I just have a hard time believing that he's going to go to spring training and not prove that he is one of the best infield options that the Orioles have. I agree. I 100% agree. So kind of uh, in summation with our prospect debuts here, we both have Jackson Holiday and Colton Kowser making the opening day roster. Heston Kerstad, I think we both said, would be up sometime in May. The pitchers, we were a little less bullish on. I had Seth Johnson coming up in August, Chase McDermott in September. I think we both had those pitchers debuting pretty late in the season. And Joey Ortiz somewhere in the middle of June, July with Kobe Mayo as really a wild card because he is still really young. I have no idea him to be here. how Kobe Mayo's season's going to go. I, I think, well, look, I think Kobe Mayo's season is going <laughs> to well, go great. I mean, great. he's going to play well. I'm just in terms of whether or not he's going to make it. I have no clue. I think the question becomes, does Kobe Mayo play so overwhelmingly well that he is in a different tier from somebody like Joey Ortiz, where it's not just the numbers are great, but it's, okay, yeah, this guy, we yeah. need to carve out a role. We need to figure it out. I think it's possible. Ah. <sighs> I mean, with a team like this with so much talent, I don't think that there are many situations where they're saying, all right, like, let's go out of our way to change something. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Because even guys that we have talked about, like Ramon Rios and Jorge Mateo, that could potentially be pushed out by some of these top prospects, Ramon Rios and Jorge Mateo are two very valuable players. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to underplay that at all when we're talking about these prospects. Ramon Arias is a gold glove caliber player at third base. Jorge Mateo is a gold glove caliber player at shortstop who is a demon on the base paths. Those are two really good players and they're not going to go away easily, even for somebody like Joey Ortiz, even for somebody like Jackson Holiday. I mean, those guys aren't going to just go by the wayside because you have young guys there. This is a stacked, talented roster, and there are going to be a lot of difficult decisions that have to be made. Absolutely. I mean, I I do not envy the position that this front office is in, although I kind of do because of how much talent there is in the organization. I think there's probably 29 other GMs around baseball that are pretty envious of what Mike Elias (laughs) has to work with. But, you know, as much as we like to say, good problem to have, you still got to move the right pieces around. Yes. Because all of these guys could be big contributors in 2024, and as fun of a problem as it may be, it is still kind of a problem that you need to figure out where these guys are going to go, how to get them playing time, how to make sure they develop in the right way. So a lot of decisions to be made for the Orioles. We will see if there are more off-season moves to come that could impact what happens with these prospects. Could we see trades? Could we see spots get opened up? We will see, but make sure you follow along with Mass and Orioles on all of our social media channels and with the Bird's Nest. You can catch us live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on YouTube and Facebook. We've had a lot of great comments today on YouTube. Thank you so much for following along. Or you can catch us after the fact on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts or digital sports shows, you can find the Bird's Nest. We are going to be off next week. For the holidays, we hope you all enjoy your holiday season. We'll be back early January in the new year talking more Orioles baseball. We hope you can come hang out with us then. Big thank you to Amy Jennings behind the scenes for producing this one. For Matt Bonaparte, I'm Brendan Mortensen, and we will catch you next time. 